0: Hey, everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. We have a big guest on today. Uh, You may or may not know that there is an election coming up over in Pinellas County for uh, the spot for state attorney. Uh, If you've lived in or near Pinellas County for the past God, how, how long was Bernie state attorney? Like 20, 30 years. 30 years. I mean, so most uh, – a lot of young attorneys' entire lives from that area. Bernie McCabe was the state attorney over there, and uh, he passed recently uh, in the interim. Bruce Bartlett, who was kind of his second in command, uh, has taken over the post temporarily. But there is an election coming up with a challenger, challenger and that challenger is our guest today, Allison Miller. Uh, she is – been around for a while. She's worked for the public defender's office. uh, I believe some private practice as well. Just now. uh, Just now. And um, so she's here today to talk to us about why uh, she thinks she should win, what she believes she'll bring to the position, war stories, and anything else that we may touch on. Thank you so much for coming over.
1: Thank you for having me. And the only slight correction is it's the state attorney for Pinellas and Pasco. I okay. like to give uh, our Pasco brethren their representation.
0: I, I have no love for Pasco, <laughs> so I just always forget to mention that. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, yeah, the Sixth Judicial Circuit, which is Pinellas-Pasco. And if we want to get super technical with Pasco, we've got the Newport-Ritchie and the the East and West side. So it's kind of three operations that you're you're running uh, all at once there, and, and they're very Although they're in the same circuit, they're very different uh, in their community, very different in their approach to, you know, criminal justice and to the, you know, court system and all that stuff. So let's let's kind of go back to the beginning now. So are you Florida born?
1: I am not. I have lived all over. And when I tell most people my history, they ask if I my parents were in the military. No, my dad was with the YMCA forever. And oh, it was wow. Just sort of their hierarchical system. So I was born in Texas. Okay. I went to elementary and middle school partially in North Carolina, and then went to middle on high school in Orlando. Went to college. Where in and, Orlando? I went to Lake Highland Prep. Okay. We lived in like the Lake Conway area. Uh, my dad is still he's retired from the YMCA, but he is still working with the Dr. Phillips Foundation, okay. charitable organization in Central Florida. Um, went to college in Indiana. Spent some time in the District of Columbia and went to law school in Tallahassee which is where Jesus I guess, yeah. Texas Yeah
0: District of Columbia <laughs> Tallahassee what was the other one
1: Texas North Carolina Florida Indiana So DC.
0: you're you're the south the bible belt DC which who knows what Tallahassee I mean you you've kind of Swam with a, a lot of different types of sharks in, yeah. in in all those places.
1: Well, you know, and I took French for like twenty oh, nice. something years, but I lived in Texas, North Carolina, and Florida, and I was a like, a lot hey.
0: of opportunity, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I was like,
1: Mom, how come you never were like, you should take Spanish? Yeah, and she yeah. was like, we did, Allison. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would have come up. <laughs> yeah, you ever been to France? I have. Okay.
1: Yeah, the one time that French has come in. come the one, in handy, the one time that
0: tw- all that twenty years, <laughs> right. was, was nice for a nice two week trip there. Um, siblings.
1: Nope, Only Child. Really? Yep.
0: Oh, I love Only Children Guests because I'm an Only Child too. And I like to – you probably aren't going to want to curse because you're running for office. But (laughs) I'm not running for anything, so I curse a lot. So I like to talk about how – much only children get screwed up by their parents and all the ways that that manifests itself. You don't have sure. to. You don't have to agree <laughs> or disagree. We can just talk about me. But
1: <laughs> what well, uh, my husband's a triplet, so it adds particular fun ooh. in the dynamic in our relationship. Do they
0: like? Have, do they have like a made-up language that only they know, or do they like appear at events all dressed the same without talking about it or no, anything like that? No, they.
1: But it's weird because their food tastes are similar. So like, none of them eat tomatoes or mushrooms. But that uh, could
0: just be upbringing. More yeah, than some right. Kind of.
1: Is it nurture weird. versus nature? Yeah. No, yeah, and it's yeah. two boys and a, two boys and a girl, so they oh, wow. are fraternal, not identical in any way.
0: I find that stuff so interesting. Kind of all the weird little frequencies that they can have with each other, that they share with each other, that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily know about. So, uh, only child, moved around all these places. Your parents still with us? Yes. Okay. And health relatively okay.
1: Yes, my it's been um a difficult last couple of months. My dad fell while he was on vacation in North Carolina with my mom and my daughter, actually. And he has torn all of the hamstrings and both oh. or excuse me, all of the tendons in both of his legs connecting oh. his hamstrings to his kneecaps.
0: oh, that's brutal,
1: yeah. And he so can't walk. Um, did he break a hip or just tore the no. so like literally a big bilateral hamstring tendon tear. So they he had to be airlifted back from North Carolina. To Florida, can't walk, can't bend his legs. Jesus. They've said recovery is going to take about a year. Um, Yeah, my mom called and she was like, you need to get here now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I flew up to get my daughter and my parents' dog. They had driven up in a rented minivan. So then I drove back with my daughter and and the dog in the minivan for like 11 and a half hours after my dad was airlifted back. And I'm like, I don't know. When was this? Mid-August.
0: Oh, wow. So... (laughs) I guess, I guess God gives you all that you can handle, you know, so that's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a month and which certainly takes its toll on campaigning and fundraising and all of those things. Are
0: you the first lawyer in the family? I am. All right. Was politics a big part of your household as a kid? Was that talked about in the house? Do you remember that or was it kind of not talked about?
1: No, it was talked about. My dad, like the Y, like with my dad's work with the YMCA, it's always been I mean, it's public
0: service, but
1: yeah, but it's always been very charitably focused, and he's always been very well connected um, with the the like uh, infrastructure in the cities or states where he worked. Sure, Um, because that's part of like in Houston, the Wise still had um, residencies. Sure, and so like you know what they were doing, and and he's a lot of why I am the way I am about. Focusing on prevention and education and opportunity and all of those things, and so like he's always been more than a fitness center and how he ran the Y, and right. so just by nature of who he is and what he did, was involved in a lot of political races. And
0: um, you remember that?
1: Yes, we were. I worked for Mel Martinez. Oh wow! In D.C., um, that's why I was in the District of Columbia, and so involved in Mel's campaign for Senate. Um,
0: Tell me about Allison in high school. Were you an athlete? Or were you mm-hmm. a leader? Were you an artist? Were you a nerd? What was your, what was all those things? <laughs> yeah, I was
1: definitely not an artist. Okay. I possess no right brainedness at okay. all. I am entirely left brain, math okay. and science. But yeah, I played sports. Did um, you play? I played volleyball. I swam and I rode crew. I actually rode crew at Notre Dame my oh, wow. freshman year. Yeah. Um, I I loved being a. An athlete, um a division one athlete at the University of Notre Dame, but it is a full time job. Oh, for sure. And it And
0: don't they practice like three AM? Yeah. I mean oh, yeah. it's like yeah.
1: Well we practiced at six AM on Saturdays and it was like, you know what I would rather be doing? Tailgating. I know. <laughs> we I want a, a sport that culture. starts at
0: like two and is done by like two thirty and <laughs> in that's, the afternoon and that's it, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's not how varsity athletics at Notre Dame works oh, at wow. all.
0: Then did you get a four year from there or did you
1: yeah, I got a um a Bachelor of Arts. I actually was a biology major in college. Oh wow. Um thought I was gonna be a doctor. I failed organic chemistry. Okay. And I have always been kind of good academically. And so Don't it was the first you. it was the first time that I was like Oh, I felt like I th- I knew I was going to do poorly, but I got an F. I was like, I got an F. Like an It was F. confirmed. It was yeah, like, like I, I think I'm
0: going to do poorly. It was like, oh, you <laughs> yeah, did do poorly. Right. Yeah, all your no. worst fears have been confirmed. Right.
1: And like to graduate with a biology degree, it was a prereq for med school. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. Oh, wow. um, and it really was kind of a crisis of conscience or faith, like what I was going to do. And sure. I had, I was double majoring in political science. So okay. my senior year, I switched to the College of Arts and graduated with a, a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science with a minor in International Peace Studies.
0: Oh, wow. Now, did you go right into law school or did you take the time off? I did. All right. And what year was that?
1: I graduated from college in 05 and started then at Florida State Law in '05.
0: Okay. And how did you decide on Florida State?
1: I was cold. I went from Orlando to South Bend, Indiana. Sure. And so people all the time are like, you didn't want to go to Notre Dame Law. And I'm like, yeah, I mean... I, Yes, and I did no. if they can
0: put it in Tallahassee, right, yeah, right.
1: I was I was I went from Orlando to South Bend, and it was a transition. And one, I may not have been able to get into Notre Dame law. Two, um, yeah, I was ready to come home. And three, I thought it would impact my like four year experience. I had such a good time in college, and I was like, law school's not going to be the same, yeah. So, yeah, I applied to Florida, Florida State, and Miami. I really wanted to go to Miami and my parents were like, it is a private school. Super expensive. (laughs) Pick again. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. How was your experience at Florida State?
1: Good. Law school was a hard transition for me because I'm so used to standardized tests and scantrons. Like in science, there is a right or wrong answer. It's not like, tell me how you feel about it. Yeah. But law school, it's more like thinking like a lawyer, which was very nebulous and a, a difficult adaptive process for me.
0: Well, and the other thing, and I'm not saying that this was your experience, but a lot of times you go from being the big fish in the small pond intellectually or academically speaking in college to now you're in law school where it's a little bit, you know, now they've taken all the big fish. And so where you fall relative to the pack in law school, sometimes that messes with people. I don't know if that was your experience, but, you know, I remember a lot of people coming thinking that they were going to be the star and finding out that they were (laughs) more towards the middle of, of, of the pack. So, um, how about, did you do law review moot court trial team? Any of that stuff?
1: No. Um, I was involved in SBA. Okay, uh, I was our social chair. Okay, I did a lot of the social events. I'm sure
0: there was kegs at the flag football games and all yeah. that kind of stuff. We, you know, we were in Pizza, Tallahassee. Yeah. yeah.
1: We had like Woodsers and Notre Dame has no Greek system. And so I was really, yeah, I didn't know
0: that. Yep. Uh, I like them uh, even more now. <laughs> well, we have
1: you know, we have uh, single-sex dormed housing where most people live on campus all four years. Some go off campus senior year, but like you live in a, a house with all women for me, obviously. And there are intramural sports and dances and philanthropy. And so I think my understanding is it functions pretty similar to a Greek system. But that transition from Notre Dame to FSU I was like, oh, this this is what Greek life is sure. like. And sure. so a lot of the folks that I was on SBA with like brought that culture, um, you know, from Florida, Florida State, wherever. And so we did like Woodsers and, you know, different social events, also charity and that kind of stuff. And I was responsible for planning that.
0: Being in the capital of the state, how much were you aware of Florida politics or was there an interplay with Florida politics between the law school? I mean, was that something you guys were talking about? I'm sure speakers and.
1: Yeah, yes to that. But, you know, that's why I chose Florida State in large part over Florida was that I thought, you know, having been in D.C. in college um, working for the administration, I thought, you know, there would be more political interplay. And there's just not because the legislators are temporary, Yeah, right? People come in for legislative session or committee weeks or whatever, and then get the heck out. Sure. And so, you know, the legislators kind of took over Tallahassee when they were there. But, you know, there's... I certainly had colleagues from law school that worked at the lobbying firms and things like that, but there wasn't as much interplay. I mean, yes, we had the benefit of having speakers, different representatives or senators, whomever at the college, but there wasn't the interplay that I expected.
0: Right, right. So uh when you're starting to think about jobs, did you, you know, did you know what you wanted to do right off the bat or was it kind of a you know, I could go private, I could go the state, I could go to the public defenders. I mean, what was the what was the conversation in your head at that point?
1: <laughs> Ta- l- talked a lot to myself. Um, no, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at first because I always thought I was going to go into science. Okay, and so law school generally was a backup yeah. plan, and I just didn't gel with law school at first. And then when I started taking criminal law courses, I was like, "This is it. This is really where I'm supposed to be." And you know, hindsight, I've had. Hindsight's twenty I've had some benefit. I have been the victim of violent crime over the course of my life, and I think that's – not I think. That is why I am drawn to criminal law generally. Um, like, it, both the, the Catholic Church's social justice platform, my experience as a victim, working with victims, I think like, it just was one of those kind of Yahtzee moments when I took crim law courses. And my professor that really led me into criminal law was Dan Markell, okay. who has since been murdered. Um That's a crazy side story. Well, for
0: sure. Well, so this is, this is an interest. This is an interesting kind of. uh, segue into something that I hadn't planned on asking about or talking about, but it comes up to me. So, um, you know, my wife has told me about incidences that she fell victim to, you know, as a former prosecutor, I, you know, towards the end of my career, I prosecuted a lot of domestic violence cases. And then obviously in the defense side of it, I've done it as well. But the one, the female point of view uh, as a victim is one that is very, I I can understand it as a man, but it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes because I I just have seen as I've grown older that a a woman's experience of life and a man's experience of life are very different. You know, there's a Louis C.K. had this joke that when a a first date, the man's wondering if he's going to get lucky and the woman's wondering if she's going to get killed. That's kind (laughs) of the... I'm laughing
1: because it's true, not because it's funny. Well,
0: sure. But I, you know, I, I, as a big guy with a big beard and deep voice, I've... You know, I always tell the story that I, when I get my kids to sleep at night, if I can get them down by nine, that gives me an hour to hit Target and do grocery shopping. So it's not uncommon where I'm parking in a parking lot and walking through the parking lot without a care in the world while there's a bunch of women who are pulling their purses tighter to their side, getting their keys out. Parking under, you know, and these are all concerns that I've just never had, but they're very real concerns. And my wife's told me about situations where she's at Bed Bath & Beyond and people have grabbed her and all these other things. And so where I'm going with this, there is a point in all of this, is that having somebody in in management, as it were, either in Tallahassee or in the Sixth Judicial Circuit or someone with that background and seeing that side of it, it would definitely something that I could see would be uh, worthwhile to have. You know, uh, it, it's it's interesting. I don't know. We've never had a female state attorney in nope. Pinellas County. A female
1: has never even run. Really? Yeah. And so that's we Bernie was there For 30 years, and the Tampa Bay Times has reported he last had an opponent in 1992, which is true, but that opponent was another Republican man in the primary. The last time a Democrat ran for state attorney in Pinellas and Pasco County was in 1964. So more than fifty years, ago, and that was also
0: well. And that tells a you uh, that tells you a lot of what you need to know about Pinellas County. I mean, you know, if you follow politics at all, even if it's on you know uh, the the federal level, when you're watching the guy by the 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 board on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, which which way to which counties go? I love him. Yeah, Pinellas <laughs> is pretty uniformly always going red. So, um, you know, that's just kind of been my experience growing up there and 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 what I've seen but in any event I, I I find it interesting and I'd be interested to you know maybe at the end of this interview as we're talking more about your platform and what you think you'll bring to it I am interested to know you know your experiences as a woman how how that would play into it I had uh Nikki freed on the show not too long ago and she's
1: also a former she, public defender from and, Alachua just, just right 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 yeah, right
0: well and again <laughs> she's running to be governor of yeah. the state that's not had a female governor. And, you know, I might ask you to do the same. I had her, you know, give run a message. for governor. No, well, sure. <laughs> no, uh, talk to my seven year old little girl and tell her why yeah. she needs to, like, you know, break through glass ceilings and kind of, you know, conquer new ground and all those things. So anyway, so uh, we were starting to talk about how you decided where you were going to go leaving law school. And yep. that decision was what and why.
1: I knew I wanted to work in criminal justice. Okay. Um, I had started working at the public defender's office in Leon County um, for Nancy Daniels, who was the PD at the time. And she had offered me a job to stay. And I would have gladly worked for her. But I didn't want to stay in Tallahassee. I wanted a little bit of a larger market, having been in South Bend and Tallahassee. They're both pretty small, insular cities. And so I met my husband in law school. He is from Sarasota. My parents were in Orlando at the time. And so we decided- we in the middle. Tampa. Yeah. So we moved to Tampa. I interviewed with Bob Dillinger's office, Bernie McCabe's office. I actually interviewed with Bruce Bartlett and Rit, uh, Rip, Richard oh, Ripplinger. Ripplinger. Yeah. yeah. And he was asleep. My husband asked Ripplinger me. Ripplinger was? Yeah. So after the interview, my husband was like, how'd the interview go? My husband was my boyfriend at the time, but was like, how was your interview? And I'm like, I don't know. And he was like, what do you mean you don't know? And I'm like, well, I think I hit it off with Bruce. You know, we had a good rapport. I enjoyed him. I think he he liked me. But the other guy was asleep. So it's hard to say how an interview went when one of two people is not awake for the interview. Um,
0: I worked in that office for three years, and I don't think he ever said a single word to me, Ripplinger, not Bartlett.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and since I've gotten to know Rip, like we've had some cases I mean, together. He's a character. He's yeah. A, he's... Oh, and he's got a real dry sense of humor sure, that yeah. I appreciate. I, but at the time, I didn't know either of them. I was a 25 year old woman, you know, looking for a job, and I was just like, well, I. I did okay with that guy yeah but that guy was asleep sure um right so I interviewed at both the offices here I interviewed with Julie Holt in Tampa which is actually where we are here I applied with Mark Ober's office but I don't I don't think I ever heard back from them and so I interviewed at the time it was 2008 and nobody was really hiring because of where we were economically prior to people passing there's no arm. movement at the state right. that, so same, that was tough yeah, same. yeah and so everybody like I left it with Julie's office, Bob's office, and Bernie's office with call and update us once you get your bar results. So I passed the bar in September um, and I called all of the offices to update my application and Mr. Dillinger called me within the hour and said, can you start tomorrow?
0: Wow. And so how many years were you there? 13. Wow. I I, I never really knew him. I, I was always aware of him when I was a prosecutor there and I always... I always liked him. I He just gave me a good energy. And it seemed as though a lot of the people that worked for him really adored him. Um, You know, my experience was I went to Stetson. I graduated in 2002. Um, and I was on the trial team. And at the time, the trial team, most of the coaches for the trial team were all, it was Ken Foote and Fred Schaub and mm-hmm. all these people. So it was kind of this like combine to go to the state attorney's office and you do that six, six month residency or Mm -hmm. apprenticeship or whatever. And it's almost like you have a foot in the door before you've even graduated law school. So my wife was on the trial team. I was on the trial team and we both did our, our time there. And, uh, that would just seem like the automatic place to go. I think Uh, that's
1: still, and even now, like when we have, or the PD's office had folks from Stetson that had gone through trial team or the clinic or whatever with Fred. They love them some Fred Schaub.
0: Sure. Well, f- Fred's, you know, so it was uh, Mark McGarry, Fred Schaub, is uh, it Bill Lowry? Mm-hmm. They were like the three LTAs. Uh, we had um, the, Andri- you know, Bev Andringa doing mm-hmm. all of the sex stuff. The cases, sorry, I should be <laughs> clear what I mean by that. Bruce, second in command, and then Bernie, who was like Oz behind the curtain that you yeah. rarely ever saw. but um I don't know at what point it hit me during my career. So first off, let me let me back up for a second. I don't know if your experience is this, but until I went to law school, I couldn't name a person that I had a beef with or that I had a problem with or that had ever questioned my integrity or ever questioned my ethics or accused me of any kind of wrongdoing. And as you get through law school and into actually working, that can become a daily enterprise with, you know, having to answer for yourself or having to answer for whatever the case may be. And I found that very jarring up front because I went from never having to defend my integrity to anybody to this being, and this wasn't coming from my office. I'm just, you know... up until that point, it was just assumed that I was a good guy, but now it's like, I felt like every day you're kind of having to prove to the judge, you're having to prove to opposing counsel, you're having to prove to your client or the victim if you're a prosecutor. And then under, under Bernie, it was having to prove to your LTA and then having to uh, prove to your division director and having, you know, and it's just like all these people always looking for, you know where was the slip up or where was the problem? So that was something, and I, and I don't know that it's unique to that office, but was jarring to me working there. But then at some point, the the whole politics of it, I I, I began to see that politically, I was kind of you were different. I, I was an yeah, I was different. <laughs> something was different, and I didn't know what it was. No, but uh, and and so it it never was a, a big issue for me. But I just I just knew pretty quickly that I was never going to be super close with anybody there because just fundamentally and philosophically I felt different about a lot of things. I mean, uh, you know, I, I really liked Rosenwasser and I still do, um, you know, he's a lifer. Uh, it's funny, my arch enemy and the bane of my existence when I was there, Lydia Wardell has now become a pretty close friend of mine. Um, and, you know, it's funny kind of seeing things, you know, 20 years into my career versus how I was seeing them the first mm-hmm. year in my career, about that office, but, um, God, there's so many different directions. I, I want to go here. So 13, let's, let's, let's keep it about you. We'll, we'll circle back to that. So 13, <laughs> we can talk about well, you. Well, well, I, I talk too much. I, this is your interview. So 13 years. uh, So, uh, you know, I I think public defender pretty much follows the same track as the state. You start out misdemeanor, get bounced around misdemeanor divisions, sooner or later make it to LTA, then you get bumped up to felony. And then after you're in felony long enough, you could find yourself in career crime or doing some of these other kind of niche areas of of stuff. Is that kind of what your experience was?
1: Yes, except for when I was going coming up the ranks, we also went through juvenile. Now we have much more of a de- when I say we, the public defender's office has much more of a dedicated juvenile department. Such but, a
0: different worlds, kind of, in my impression. Oh,
1: sure, and like that was just how Mr. Dillinger like did promote. And I didn't love juvenile. I like jury trials. Yeah, um, but I am glad in hindsight that I had that experience. And I wasn't in juvenile long, but I think it's important for children to be represented by people who want to do that work. And so the PD's office has transitioned since I was there years ago. Um, that the folks that are there now really are kick-ass juvenile defenders.
0: Well, I, I mean the the directive in juvenile, in my opinion, should be different from the adult system. Whereas the adults, what is?
1: I mean, the purpose of the juvenile system is rehabilitation, where the stated statutory or legislative intent of the adult system is punitive.
0: Right. And while it is rehabilitation, sadly, we see a lot of these people come back to us in the adult system. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how well... That's working. And I'd be interested in your opinion on that.
1: We, the people, so here's the problem with prosecutors and public defenders. It's who we see, right? The juvenile justice system actually does a fairly decent job rehabilitating children. Okay. And then as prosecutors or public defenders, we don't see them again. Yeah. So who you see are the recidivists. Sure. And especially the prolific recidivists. And it's easy to think, oh, this is everybody. Sure. But there's a lot of children who get diverted at the front end that, really have very little contact with even the prosecutor or the state or the public defender, because there are all of these mechanisms in place to rehabilitate the children and keep them out of the, the juvenile and becoming adult criminal justice systems.
0: So then after juvenile, where'd you go after? juvenile, Okay.
1: Yeah. And so I knew that I wanted to do capital defense. Um, that goes a lot with I'm Catholic. Um, I, personally and this could lend itself to a different conversation, but I personally believe in the dignity of all human life from conception through natural death. And so it was very easy for me to say I don't think everybody can defend capital cases, but I can. Um, and I say that with an asterisk in that as strongly as I feel that way, I feel equally strongly if not stronger that I don't get to make that decision for any other person on this planet nor do I believe the legislature should. so um, that is the asterisk. But I started hanging out with Jill Menadier, who okay, was one sure. of the boss ladies. And I knew I wanted to be like her. I just thought she right. was remarkable. Um, and she was like, well, if you're going to be here barnacled to my hind parts, you might as well start working on some cases with me. And so I'd only been in felony a couple years and started defending a man by the name of Qaddafi Mullins with Jill and Ron Idy and Michael Hayes. and Not
0: Purple Hayes. I yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, me too. I have... I still, talk, I mean, I talked to Michael pretty much. I had Greg,
0: I had Sarah Malo, mm-hmm. I had Greg Baird, I had, um,
1: Greg Michael Baird Hay- or Greg Williams?
0: Greg, sorry, Greg Williams, not Greg Baird. No. So, God, we're going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Williams. Um, and, uh, who is it that works with Yazel? Um, Lori Sweet. Lori Sweet. The, the, those were my PDs and in my, in my, in front of, uh, uh, Were you in K? Peter, Peters. Oh, no, A. And then yeah. you guys
1: switched. Like A and K did like a- That got switched. That was after
0: I left. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead.
1: No. And so, you know, Jill very much recruited. Uh, recruited is the wrong word because I really was like, hello. Just succumbed. She resigned <laughs> yeah, she herself. <laughs> she
0: resigned herself to the reality that she wasn't getting ready to do And we soon. joked.
1: I mean, Gaddafi was sort of the perfect storm. We had several lawyers retire during the pendency of his case um, or get fired. And so he had just such transition in his defense team that we joked that they were putting me on the team because I was nowhere near retirement. Yeah. So we would likely assurance that right. there was gonna be
0: some common right. common line throughout the defense.
1: Right. And so I continued defending felony cases and got more and more involved in capital punishment, defending capital cases. I became a supervisor. I supervised Division C in Pinellas. Who was that judge? Burgess. It was Judge Newton and then Judge Burgess. Um, I'm a big fan of I know judge you're Burgess. a big fan of
0: Burgess. You've had that conversation. I
1: know. I could not say more positive things as far as how he treats our clients, the jurisprudence. You know, he has his eccentricities, but I think all judges do. And figuring out how to effectively practice in front of any judge is half the battle. And Judge Burgess you know, wears it all on his sleeve. You know exactly what his rules and regulations are. Exactly. He's written a book about it. Yep. But I mean, I just, it is hard to describe representing defendants knowing that the judge is treating them all with equity. Um, And And that's not always
0: the case. No.
1: And like, I can remember when the Sarasota Herald Tribune did that analysis or study, what have you, about um, judicial equity. And it was racial, racial disparity in sentencing. And they didn't just study Pinellas. It was like the Tampa Bay region, but it went from like Sarasota to Hernando. I, I, I don't recall the specifics, but I think Judge Burgess was one of the, if not the most equitable in, in sentencing parody. And I believe that, I believe that statistic wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would not question him on that. I mean, I, as kind of a loosey-goosey hippie, whatever, I, I get upset about Socks and to buttons your and ties button. and all that stuff. But <laughs> I, I would I would not critique Burgess on his you know, parody between races and sexes and how he sentences yeah, and mean, all those things.
1: Sometimes he asks everyone who, you know, he sentences to prison what their plan is. Like what they're, they're he, Yeah. And he, he means it genuinely and he doesn't want people in. Sometimes it can feel cumbersome or tedious and it lengthens the process and the plea colloquy, but he doesn't want people to feel like.
0: He doesn't mail it in. Yeah, no, he doesn't want people he, to feel
1: like they're cogs sure, in the wheel.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, that's true. So then how long were you in C? A
1: couple years. years. Um, and I've gone kind of back and forth. So I started getting involved. And this is true of all of the public defender's offices in the state of Florida. There are requirements to be lead counsel qualified to defend death penalty cases. And as people retire and death cases are fewer and far between, there are just less people qualified. Right. And so I started defending death penalty cases in Pasco County as well as Pinellas. And I was still supervising C. And I can remember meeting with Mr. Dillinger and being like, I'm I'm drowning. Like yeah. this isn't effective representation. Cause I had a when I started doing capital cases, I had a full felony caseload and some capital cases. But then I was a supervisor with a smaller caseload, but trying to, to, tr- you know, communicate between both counties um, and supervise C. And I was like, where I'm failing mostly is supervising division C. And so at that point, we made a new, we nothing, Mr. Dillinger made a new position. I was called the capital case coordinator and I supervised all of the murder cases in both counties. Um, I had like a my, fun job. <laughs> yeah, I had my own caseload, but then I was supposed to be responsible for making sure that we were providing quality representation across the board on our first and secondary murder cases. And then at some point, a lot of our senior assistants started retiring around the same time, Michael and Jill and some of the aforementioned. And Bob was like, I need you to come back and be a supervisor. So I went back to supervising Division A.
0: What year are we at uh, at this time? Where are oh. we?
1: 2018, maybe? Okay, okay. Um, I started supervising Division A, which was Judge Lay. And I was there, um, I don't remember how long.
0: She was a public defender, was yep. she? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think all of the judges on the criminal bench in Pinellas and Pasco were either PDs or state attorneys at this point. Um So, yeah, I was in Judge Lay's division as a supervisor for a while, and then I switched with Paige Parrish, who she went to supervising A, and I went back to C. Okay. And then I can't remember if I went back to being the capital case court. Nope. From C, um, Sarah Molo became Mm -hmm. the public defender. Sure. And she asked me to take over, in addition to the murder cases, just supervising Pasco. Right. Not just – so murder cases in both counties, Pasco in its entirety –
0: So, uh, people who practice criminal law, whether it's prosecutor's defense uh, locally, I mean, Pinellas kind of has the state attorney's office uh, has a reputation, especially when you go out to private practice, because, you know, when you're working over there as a PD or a state attorney, that's all you know. But when you go into private, you're doing a lot of different counties a lot. So, you have some uh, comparison or some different perspectives on what it was that you're dealing with. And, you know, the, the kind of the hack trope that we would always hear is, you know, line prosecutors were getting rid of cases and doing everything in Hillsborough, where over in Pinellas, you had to get 20 people to (laughs) sign off on it. And so what was, you know, is uh, however you want to talk about it, you know, your experience of the state attorney's office as a public defender over there.
1: Right. I would share. So as I got better not I don't know better is the right, right. way. Yeah, more, more experienced, experienced uh, defending capital cases. I have been solicited by other PD's offices again because of the void in people who are lead counsel qualified to defend cases in other circuits and I continue to have cases from Columbia County right now to Broward, Orange. And yeah, it gave me a lot of insight because I think we do have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome in the sixth. Like unless you know that it can be done differently. Differently,
0: that's all you. Right. Know and like sure. Jimmy
1: Russell was the state attorney forever never had an opponent. Then he tapped his long-serving number two as his heir apparent, Bernie McCabe, and now, and so it's it's just perpetuated. Do
0: you know if Jimmy, Bernie, and Bruce all they ever were was a state attorney? Yeah. I mean, Were they ever in any other office or any in, ever in a private?
1: Yes, for Bruce. Yes, for Bernie. I don't know about Jimmy.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. You know.
1: Right. Well, right. And like that. That's what like we had to research. Even as I said, when the last time a Democrat even ran um, for state attorney. And it was prior to Jimmy Russell. And so that's, you know, I think people are critical of like me trying to shake up the system or or Bruce is perceived as the heir apparent or the successor. And I'm like, that's not how this works.
0: That's not how it should work. Sure. Right. I no longer
1: believe anybody should go into um, serve as an elected official without having a contested election. Yeah. Because I just think that's. Like, the only way... Checks
0: and balances. Yeah, and, and to continue be, yeah. to have these conversations, conversations right? right? Half
1: the time when I speak to people and I say I'm running for state attorney, there's kind of a blank look or they think I'm running for the attorney general. And I'm like, nope, yeah. district attorney. It's the same thing. Yeah. Florida is unique sure. in all things. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember. What was the... So I, got I was asking topic. your
0: experience of the state attorney's office in Pinellas County as a public defender.
1: Yeah, same. Sort of what you've said. Like Even supervising Pasco County, we were... Like in the Newport Ritchie office, for instance, you know, our the PD and the state attorney's offices are directly next door to each other. And we would have to send offer letters, like we would send an offer letter to the state attorney's office that would go to Clearwater to, you know, be reviewed by- it's just
0: micromanaged right. to the nth degree, yeah. Right.
1: And I can, you know, I very distinctly recall, I was interviewed by the Tampa Bay Times when I announced my candidacy for state attorney. And I was asked what I think the state attorney's office does best now. And I said, you know, I have worked with and not all of this stuff obviously got reported in the article. But I said that I have worked with a lot of really great state attorneys who I genuinely believe are there because they want to help people. They are not given the discretion to do so. And I intend to give them that discretion.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and, and and I'd like to echo that sentiment. You know, I I have asked and maybe he'll come on, maybe he won't have Bruce on. I always liked Bruce. Uh, he interviewed me. Uh, I, I, I talked to him a few more times than I talked to Bur- Bernie, but he was always low key and fine. And, you know, and I, there was some amazing prosecutors there that I really, you know, respect. Same. Um I loved Mike Marr, like I said, Same. Rosenwasser and some of these other people. Um, uh, my My thing with this election has been less about the person and more about the regime, uh, which f- for right or for wrong, you know, as a liberal, as a pr- progressive, but someone who has experience having worked in that office, I, 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 my thinking, and I don't live in Pinellas County, so it doesn't matter what I think, but, um, you know, I feel as though it needs to be there needs to be a reset or there needs to be kind of a restructuring. And I'm happy to have this conversation with Bruce and maybe he'll convince me otherwise. And you know, and and if 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 I heard from him or I heard from the people around him that they agreed and this was their plan to do it, then I, you know, I might be more kind of even in in my in my thinking on it. But, you know, yeah, they have emails now, but apart kind of well kind of have emails. <laughs> yeah. Um but, you know, that that's you know <laughs> I just, there's, you know, it, there's this interesting thing and I I, I got asked to uh, speak on the news when, I forget who it was, but they had submitted that the courthouse be named after Bernie and mm-hmm. they asked me for comment on it I was like, I don't want to take anything away from Bernie or that office, you know, I always... Please, please, everybody that's listening, I'm not, I'm not comparing Bernie to Saddam Hussein, oh, but God. I know this will get better. This <laughs> sounds bad, but it will get better. I don't think you can manage that county. You can't make that omelet and not break eggs. You got to be kind of a little bit of a warlord over there. I think, and maybe you'll, you'll tell me differently. Uh, so, it, it, you know, you're 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 going to have your detractors. You're going to have your your enemies over there. But um, where was I going with this?
1: Naming the courthouse after him? Naming
0: the courthouse after him. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back. Um, I, uh, you know, my thing was, if I'm somebody who's facing a criminal charge and I'm walking into a courthouse named after the prosecutor, I'm going to have a real hard time thinking I'm going to get a fair shake in that building. Well, don't. Well, sure. And that wasn't submitted by the state, the state attorney's office. That was someone up the line, or at least, you know, that's how it was portrayed. But, you know, so I didn't, I don't want to be shitty. I mean, Name a park after him, you know. Name a
1: the Clearwater Law Library, yeah. Name
0: a library after him, honor him for sure. But the courthouse, I don't know if that's the best message. And so, you know, that's always been my issue. Uh, in that county, now, candidly, I've practiced in Polk, I've practiced in Marion, I've practiced in some pretty super conservative counties. So, by no means am I, you know, denigrating Pinellas as any kind of arcane county compared to what some of the things you can face in the, well. I
1: I will say though, that like the statistic I cite most frequently, and I like using numbers because they're not biased or partial. Sure. Is Florida Department of Corrections keeps really detailed records about who comes through their doors. The Sixth Circuit, Pinellas and Pasco, sends more people to prison than any other circuit. Is that true? Yes. It's on, like, DOC makes all of their data publicly available. You can see how many people have previously offended. So how many are recidivist? Um, and you know, for good and for bad, there are organizations like the fair punishment project that have been involved in Pinellas Pasco, particularly Pinellas forever, because Pinellas is such an outlier in how it does justice. And not to say that it's the only County in Florida they're involved in, but for instance, the fair punishment project compiled all of the data from 2017 and 2018. And it was, what did people go to prison for by the most serious charge? And so of that Fi- more than 50% of prison admissions from Pinellas and Pasco in those two years were for nonviolent crimes. So there is this misconception you only go to prison for violence. Not true, particularly in this circuit. And then beyond that, like the one that I really just stood out for me was possession of controlled substance. Contrast, let me try that again. Possession, possession of, of controlled, controlled substance. substance. Yeah. So possession of like small amounts of methamphetamine, Herophilia, cocaine,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Whatever. But then we're talking about prison. So sentences more than a year. And in total, people went to prison for 708.56 years in those two years, 27 and 2018, just from Pinellas and Pasco for possession of controlled substance. And then DOC estimates the cost of incarceration for an inmate in general population with no specialized health health needs, which is as we know, not true of everybody, but between 20 and 25,000 a year. So that's $15 million in two years just incarcerating people for drug possession.
0: Did they draw any lines to why they think that's happening? I mean, was there any kind of opinions rendered in that regard? Was it uh
1: know, they try to do law
0: because I mean there's a lot of different cogs in that wheel. There's law enforcement. Sure. So there's, you know, more people arrested, maybe. There's the bench, you know, what what are they sentencing people? There's the to? PD's
1: office. I've heard the state attorney's office say that the reason that statistic exists is because of the public defenders. Which, you know, I, I think there there's probably some truth in that. Sure. But I also think that the system is so dramatically rigged in favor of the state generally, but in particular, that's what, you know, I've had members of the judiciary approach me since I've announced my candidacy to talk about the dramatic power imbalance. And that just is the system in general, but with an exclamation point in the Sixth Circuit. I mean, the, there are judges who are or were afraid of Bernie McCabe in the state attorney's office. Like, we don't want to upset the, Mr. McCabe. The
0: balance, yeah, the right. force. Right, yeah. And so
1: I think we all know that the state has, you know, carries most of the cards when it comes to the the criminal justice system generally, in particular, in the Sixth Circuit.
0: Well, so, you know, this this is a good transition because I, I, let me think how to say this. I mean, by no means is it a walk for you to win this election, right? I no. mean, it's, it's going to be a hard-fought battle, correct? Yes, sir. And you have a lot of, of the people who support you know, nominees for an election over there have been under Bernie for so long that some of the residual feeling of they don't go against that office in any way kind of sticking out there. So how have you how are you combating that or how are you talking about that as part of your campaign?
1: Well, you know, I think it's easy to forget that, like the bubble that exists around the county justice complex or criminal justice in general is just that it's a bubble and it's a small one. I mean, you think about it, there's, what, 300 employees at the state attorney's office, about the same at the PD, how many in, in the private bar. And it's easy when you're in this world to think that's everybody. Right. And it's all-encompassing when it's just not. Sure. There are 1.6 million people that live in Pinellas and Pasco counties. And so –
0: But you've got the newspapers. You've got the law sure. enforcement agency. You've got sure. these other big movers – that who they throw their support behind and that's matter. Split, and so right. yeah.
1: Well, and and like what's interesting is only the sheriffs are allowed to endorse. Is that true? Yeah. And so I have spent a lot of time meeting with the chiefs. Okay. And I, you know, they are not permitted to endorse a candidate. But I would certainly say that not all of the chiefs. Like law enforcement is not uniformly behind either camp. Right. Like, the two sheriffs, Naco and Gualtieri, have endorsed Bruce. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sheriff. Or excuse me. There's a lot of chiefs who are Democrats, who are reformers. I mean, even Sheriff Gualtieri. He and I have sat down. Um. And I sat down with him after he'd endorsed Bruce because I intend to win this thing, uh-huh. and for me to be successful in my endeavors, and for him to be successful, there is a partnership between the state attorney's office and law enforcement. Sure. And you know, one of the conversations I had with Sheriff Gualtieri is, you know, I think he—I don't want to put words in his mouth—but we talked about that when he took office in 2011. I imagine he didn't anticipate being the the largest provider of psychotropic meds in Pinellas County. Yeah. But here we are. Sure. He's also built a beautiful homeless shelter on the jail's campus, and so there are a lot of things that I don't know. You know, when he became sheriff, if he would have anticipated his job necessitating doing this well
0: ideals uh, ideals are weathered by reality we evolved, you know you can we feel evolve. yeah sure well hopefully you do but well, that's uh, yeah. and that's
1: what you know to kind of circle back on this i don't have a problem with bruce yeah. i've always had a positive ex- i mean have we ever had conflict sure yeah. but i've always had a positive experience with him mostly but bruce said when he was interviewed by the tampa bay times that the thing that makes the state attorney's office the most effective is the lack of change and that is when i decided to run
0: yeah, I, I think I think I remember you quoting that to me, and I went through my mind trying to think of any situation where that would be true, and I'm hard-pressed to come up with. <laughs>
1: well, And that's, you know, like in business, I meet a lot of folks with different chambers and, and business folks, and it's like, what industry now, if it existed the same way it did 40 years ago, would you be like, nailing it?
0: Well, right. So, I, I've, I've, I, I think I was having this conversation with you, but uh, there was a there was a movie on Netflix not too long ago, a Brad Pitt movie called War Machine, and it was talking about uh, the problems that they were having in the Middle East, where they were switching out the people, the the generals, too quickly, that there was no. Uh, consistent direction that they were going down. So this guy wanted to do it that way. And then 18 months later, it was this guy and he wanted to do it this way and so on and so forth and et cetera. That may be true. So that's where some consistency of kind of policy would be the case. But in this situation, 30 years of Bernie, however many years of Jimmy, I mean, it's 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 not like, you know, we've got some initiatives we need to finish up on. This is like a (laughs) lifetimes of, policy over there and it hasn't changed a whole lot right, from
1: criminal justice has evolved.
0: Oh, big time. And right. and needs to a hell of a lot more. You know, I started teaching it. It's funny because I know one of the big critiques that we, we hear in politics is how the colleges are indoctrinating our children with liberal <laughs> mindsets and not, you know, critical race theory and all this other stuff. And so I, I got, I got asked to teach criminal justice at uh university of Tampa and I've spent so much time talking to them about bail reform and about the 13th Amendment and about, you know, how there needs to be a sea change and how we uh, address drug charges and all these other things. And we are still have so far to go on all of that stuff. And, you know, I uh, you know, I remember when I first became a prosecutor, people would ask me about it. I said, if we could figure out how to handle drugs differently than we do, that whole system would, you know, just not go away but i mean so many people are treated as criminal, <laughs> criminals because they have substance abuse issues or mental, or health. Or mental health you know yeah. well that's the other thing i was just having this conversation with my class last night so i'm in tampa but i drive up bayshore which is the wealthiest road in the world come through downtown under the overpass and then i drive up florida avenue which is salvation army metropolitan ministries the ymc all these you know there's halfway houses and methadone and a lot of homeless and all these other things And the amount of homeless that we have just blows my mind. It just blows. We don't, they blend in the background. So a lot of times you just don't think about it, but what, what brought it to the forefront of my mind is my children are of an age now where they notice it and it's not in the background for them. They're like, well, why is that person there? And, you know, you have the story you tell your kids, but then while you're doing that in your mind, you kind of think about the issue. And a lot of veterans, a lot of people with mental health issues who aren't getting the treatment and care that they need, and all of that stuff kind of finds its way into the criminal justice system. Yep. And then, you know, in the context of these police officer shootings and the militarization of police, uh, the the topic or, or subject to come up that we expect too much of our police officers or more accurately, we expect them to solve too many problems. There's mm-hmm. kind of things that they can adequately deal with, but other things that maybe they're not the best person to be dealing with. And so, in uh, talking about, you know, what you might bring to the state attorney's office, I mean, okay, now LTAs have emails over there and, kind of. They, and they kind <laughs> of have a diversion program for DUIs, but mm-hmm. what what, you know, have you thought about that? Have you looked at that?
1: What changes I bring? Sure.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, for sure you have, but specifically like initiatives or office policies and prosecution. I'm sure people would be interested in knowing.
1: Yeah. So to me, it's more of a philosophical shift in why we're doing what we're doing. And so I think there's been a lot of focus on punishment for punishment's sake alone. And this idea if we could lock everyone up or, you know, incarcerate away our problems. And that really made people safer. America would be the safest country in the world. But we are experiencing astronomically record high rates of gun violence and violent crime at the moment and so we know that to not be true. And so I am somebody who believes in punishment. I grew up with very conservative parents who remain so um, but I think it should serve a greater purpose and so my focus is more on treating the harm, solving the problem rather than simply punishing the crime right and and that's the philosophical shift and so then all of the policies lend itself from that. so I think we have to spend, you know, even a fraction of what we spend on incarceration on the front end. We have to have more expansive diversion programs. And yeah, we have them. And people are like, OK, it's easy to say that. But I've, I've identified three areas where I think our diversion programs are problematic. One, we all know the state attorney's office serves as the sole gatekeeper. Well, with an asterisk, there's APAD, adult pre-arrest diversion that law enforcement has the discretion to divert for certain crimes um, when they're arresting. And then there's post-arrest diversion, which is the state attorney's office. But both of those programs have a whole bunch of ineligibility restrictions. And actually, the sheriff and I discussed them um, quite a bit in our conversation about what makes somebody ineligible for APAD or post-arrest diversion. And, you know, number of prior convictions is one of them with little consideration to what the prior convictions are for. So you've got sure. three prior trespasses and you're ineligible for APAD. Um, For, you know, I'm just using that as an example. And so we have to expand or reduce. Yeah, not expand, reduce our ineligibility restrictions to divert more people, because I think we know once people are in the system, they can't get out. And so there has to be an incentive to keep people out of the system because it's better for all of us to reduce recidivism and recidivism that that leads to violent crime. Um, Other problems with diversion beyond just ineligibility restrictions, money is a threshold to being able to successfully complete it. And I get it, you know, that's the budget. We could have a conversation just about that, sure. right? So some of these programs, the state attorneys- and I know the office,
0: listeners really want to hear about budgets. Right, Harry. but like,
1: but if you think about it, <laughs> it the, state att- yeah. the state attorney's office is funded in in large part, the clerk's office is pun- funded in large part by the fines and fees that are assessed against criminal defendants. Sure. And so there, how we measure- Success is based on the amount of prosecutions the so amount this is of the convictions. point I wanted to
0: talk about right. because what you're wanting to do is not what you it doesn't really give you numbers to wave in people's faces and people want numbers they want stats they want budget you know it, it, so it's hard to it's hard to show kind of that more philosophical change and
1: in- sure, but like so for instance, like it has taken us generations it's taken us lifetimes to get here. And so there are folks who are, are identified as more progressive prosecutors that are trying these things in other parts of Florida and other parts of this country with varying degrees of success, right? But we have Andrew Warren in Hillsborough County, and Which so I want
0: to I want to talk about Andrew Warren because he's my answer to everybody who talks about your probability of success, <laughs> right? Over there, because you know I we'll we'll circle back that. Go ahead,
1: right? But but like so, to a certain extent, it's like now you know. We can keep doing the same thing, but to expect different results would be literal insanity, right? And so we have to try something different. We know what we're doing isn't working, and it's not an easy fix, and it's not going to happen overnight, but we have to start somewhere. And so we know now, anecdotally and based on all the empirical data studies, that locking people up for low-level nonviolent crimes related to their illnesses, substance abuse or mental illness, does not reduce recidivism, particularly when... We have a Department of Corrections that's so dramatically underfunded. I mean, DOC doesn't provide any kind of rehabilitative services whatsoever. And so we warehouse people who have addiction and mental illness without providing them any kind of treatment or rehabilitative services. They get out of prison, convicted felons, no job opportunities, no education, no ability to live in federally federally subsidized housing. And then we're like, do something other than reoffend.
0: Or walk around and sleep under the overpass or. Well, we've
1: criminalized homelessness too. So, you know, and and that's where I'm like, why would we keep doing this? Right. And that's what the problem is. I talk to prosecutors all the time about this crime and what the punishment is. But this person, for the most part, unless it's murder or some, you know, crimes punishable by life, folks are getting out of prison eventually. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. Like, have we left the community better off or worse off? by incarcerating this person for an extended period of time. I mean, the legislature tried to, not tried, there were certain legislators who wanted to change the purpose of criminal justice to public safety rather than punitive or punishment to public safety. And our legislature couldn't even agree on that. Right. And isn't that the goal? Isn't the goal to make everybody safer?
0: Well, it makes sense, but, you know, uh, things that I, until the past five or six years, thought we could all agree on, you know, have figured out that we can literally argue about
1: anything, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: true. So, it n- nothing surprises me anymore. So, a couple of different things. So, just real quick before I forget, uh, you know, a lot of the attorneys, a lot of the bar, you know, either former prosecutors or anybody involved over there. I'm watching your clock. I know you. Okay. Gotta, I know you got to pick up a kid. So, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the three okay. minute warning. Um, I could
1: talk forever about. Well, sure, sure, sure,
0: sure. Um, is you know we all talk about well wow i mean it's a it's a it's funny because when i left the state attorney's office i had to go up and resign to bernie and he's like what are you gonna do i was like i'm gonna go out on my own he, all he said is ballsy move and i think he was smoking a <laughs> cigarette hand me. But, so it is a ballsy move what what you're d- are doing because i mean you know you're up against i mean it's i, I don't want to say goliath but nah, it feels i mean a yeah, bit. yeah yeah so um that's a big thing. But when I started in private practice, I started doing a lot more in Tampa. And, you know, I don't think Mark Ober was feared. I think he was kind of loved. Like he, you know, I'm sure there's people who had different opinion on him, but he was equally as big of a figure in Hillsborough County as Bernie was over in Pinellas. And when Andrew Warren was running against him, I was like, this guy didn't have a shot in hell. And you see what happened. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, it does, it does kind of, open up a lane, at least in people's minds of, of, of getting there. Um, you know, it seems to me that if it's not a stated theme of your campaign, it's kind of an implicit one of change or evolution or growth or these sorts of things. Um, and you've talked a little bit about, you know, what you would be directing that at. How do you talk to the bar? Like, you know, we, we've talked off air, what, maybe talk about a little bit, but a lot of people are afraid to support you, not because of you, but because of that office. What would you say to those people?
1: If you think change is necessary, you're going to have to support me. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's where people will talk about fearing retribution. And it's like, isn't that demonstrative of, in and of itself of why change is necessary? Right, and until and people talk to me about, you know, the the culture within the state attorney's office, um, and it's unless somebody's willing to be courageous to take that step forward, it's never going to change. Sure, and that I think a lot of people, it's one of two things: either fear retribution for themselves personally or or for their clients.
0: Just to be clear, this is not like a stated policy of the state. Oh no, this isn't anything that Bruce has said. So we're not at at all, saying <laughs>
1: no, and we right, yeah, sure. We talked about it before. We talked about off here, know, right? This but, is not a
0: directive from the state attorney, it's just a fear that people have, right? Yeah. And I don't
1: even know if it's coming from Bruce, yeah. Right? He doesn't yeah, seem I don't know Bruce that well, uh, but sure. you know, I, and it's there's the politics of it too. Like, Speaker Sprouse, the Speaker of Florida's House, is a former prosecutor from the Sixth Circuit lending his support to Bruce, and so it does feel big and taking on um, something big but and and then i think there are people that also feel loyalty to bruce having worked for him which i completely understand and that's where it's really not about bruce yeah it's if you like things as they are and think they can should continue you should vote for him right if you think we need and that's this idea that if you that I'm this crazy liberal or this I've been painted as a socialist, a bomb throwing abolitionist on the left side, which I am just not. If you think we need much needed common sense criminal justice reform, you should vote for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and have you been able to have those conversations with fellow members of the bar and see them kind of, you know, at least some of them kind of come over and and see? See, see the value to that argument. Sure. Yeah.
1: And like there are people that are certainly publicly supporting Bruce that have privately done a whole lot to help my campaign.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk for a minute if we can uh, w- about the ills facing the Tampa Bay area or Pinellas County from a criminal perspective, like, like what are some of the things that you're seeing as far as maybe pills, gangs, shootings? Uh, you know, I've talked to, I, I had this case, uh, in front of a uh, judge Sestak up in Dade city. <laughs> and, uh, it was a, it was a situation where the state attorney's office had subpoenaed a blood record from my client and my client was driving on 75 and this McLaren, Uh, driven by a 25-year-old Russian girl, just goes across five lanes of the highway, hits the middle uh, bumper, goes back out, and my guy hits it. There's no erratic driving by my guy, no speeding by my guy. There's nothing at all to suggest that he was DUI. Yet the state subpoenaed his blood records and didn't subpoena the girl's blood records. And One of the questions I started asking a lot is like, Who is this 25 year old Russian girl that's driving a McLaren? And I started to hear that the US Attorney's Office is having this big issue with Russian mob coming to the Central Florida area and all this other stuff. Yeah. But I'm just wondering in Pinellas County, like, you know, it seemed like for the past month or two, there was a lot of shootings. Yeah. Is that the biggest one? Yeah. Uh, and so thoughts on that, how did, how you tackle that? What you do about that? I mean, one of the things I have a case over there right now where it's a 16 year old kid walking up and down the street, pulling on car quarter, car door handles, finds a gun. And evidently that's how guns are getting out there a lot. I've been talking about that with, you know, social media and and, and my classmates that, you know, these law abiding gun owners don't leave your gun in your car, with the door unlocked, but, right. um, you know, they had that big stand your ground case over there not too long ago. Yep, Draco. Yeah, yeah. So, um, w- what do you attribute the 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 spike in gun violence? How would you you know poverty. talk?
1: Ever increasing poverty. Really? Um, and you so- say
0: that as though that's just the answer. Is that <laughs> right? I'm overly
1: simplifying. <laughs> well, but
0: I mean, I, I like the confidence. I mean, is that is that you know kind of the unified theory there?
1: Yes. Um, and even, you know, in my conversation with the sheriff, we had a, uh, talked a lot about how poverty impacts crime rates. Um, and you know, we are dealing with joblessness and homelessness in a global pandemic that's never been seen. Sure. And so of course that's going to have some impact on gun violence. And that's where, you know, I get asked a lot, like, am I going to be soft on crime or can I really put the bad guys in prison? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be doing this. And I think what I find. No, I'm just going to lay down. Right. Hope right. it'll Everybody unlock all the jails. Out.
0: Everybody's out. Right. Do over. What, what's yeah. so
1: offensive about that is I'm a mom. I have a six year old daughter. And, like, you know, people will say, like, as a mom, I just worry about, you know, are my children going to be safe? And I'm like, me too. Yeah. Me too. The idea that I would do anything that would make the community that my child lives in less safe is offensive. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah like let's put that to rest i can put the bad guys in prison and violent crime is going to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and so once we're at the point of gun violence and and using a gun to commit a crime of violence you're going to get prosecuted right it's what we have to do on the front end to prevent it from getting there sure and so in the immediate sense you know we're going to have to have like we're going to have to clean this up but we have to equally be talking about how do we prevent it from getting here? And that's the providing opportunity, providing jobs, education, all of those things at the front end. So there's another option besides this.
0: Right. Right. So uh, you mentioned, I, I think at the beginning that now, I, I guess, do you have to not work as a public defender if you're running for, for state attorney or is that a I don't choice
1: know. you made? Or Yeah. And and Sarah, you mentioned Molo and, and Greg Williams. Sarah's obviously the PD and Greg is the chief assistant. And we had had conversations about this um, before I announced my candidacy. And I don't know that there was a, a rule that I couldn't run, but I certainly, like my goal is to help Sure. Um, It's never to hurt. And I believe for the system to work effectively, there has to be equal fervor and advocacy on both sides. Right. And so I would never want to do anything that would hurt the public defender's office or the clients of the public defender's office because I chose to run for state attorney. Sure. And it just seemed like a conflict that need not exist. Working at the PD's office, running against the man prosecuting all of our offices. So clients. when did you leave? The day I announced my candidacy. What June, day was? June 3rd.
0: Wow. How's that been?
1: Wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never been in private practice. I work for Craig Wisenhunt and Dan Ripley, who are lovely, and they're both former public defenders. I didn't even
0: realize you worked for Craig. Yeah. Holy shit, I just spent the last month of <laughs> yeah. my life yes. texting Craig every night. <laughs> yes,
1: um, I'm aware. Uh,
0: I've become a huge Craig fan.
1: I'm also a huge Craig fan. Yeah, uh, yeah I saw your head on Makes me feel like Zoom. an
0: idiot, though. Cause, uh, uh, you know, the whole time he's yeah. like... He's like saving our our state's children. I'm like making fart jokes and trying to <laughs> trying to get all the other people laughing in the it in the room. Your
1: press conference when everybody was talking about like all of the effort and you were like i just kind of winged it
0: yeah well that's that's my speed I, that's well i was also coming down with COVID at that point yeah. i was like barely making it through but uh anyway oh yeah. i had no idea i haven't met ripley y- yet but when I,
1: he dan and i went to like it's all so dan and i went to law school together at florida state right his wife is still a public defender okay we're all the craig's uh, currently the interim IT director for the PD's office and was an attorney at the PD's office at one point. Craig's wife was an intern at the PD's office and my intern. Um, and so we're all pretty uh, intertwined. And so it was a great fit. Dan Ripley does a lot of work with Andrew Warren's post-conviction okay. or in, uh, conviction integrity unit in Hillsborough. Sure. And, and obviously Craig very much was a part of the lawsuit against the governor. And so, yeah, it was a really good fit, for me to work there. Wow, um, your
0: stock just even went up further with
1: man me. because I know Craig.
0: Well, I mean, if <laughs> Craig, well, you're you could no, that that sounds bad, but no, well, well, yeah, because I know Craig, but I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's I didn't I didn't know how you were spending your time, you know, during the day. So, uh, as far as your campaign in the in the face of COVID, how has that looked? I mean, that. I mean, I know you don't really right. have anything to compare it to because this has been your first time right. running a campaign, but it, it must present certain challenges that others oh, haven't yeah. had before.
1: Well, and I'm obviously conscientious and concerned about COVID. That's why our law firm was involved in sure. the lawsuit against the governor. Um, but like wanting to still be – because I think that is why the Democrats lost some of the down-ballot seats in the state legislature this in the 2020 election cycle. I mean, there's a lot of factors. Trump being Democrats the are
0: – Dog shit politicians, for sure, the most part. but we part. also like. Yeah. I think they're
1: more conscientious about COVID, um, and so I was hesitant to have like a campaign kickoff event. Yeah, and ultimately, I was like, I have to do this in a way that is safe. Um, and certainly, I respect anybody's decision to not come. Yeah, but you know, I'm running against somebody who I've I've seen photos from like his different campaign events and nary a mask in sight. For and sure. So, I'm like the show must go on but I'm trying to do it as, as safely as possible.
0: Well, what you do have or at least I would think that you have is you have the 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 youth uh part of this. You have a better understanding of social media, streaming. It may I, I while Bruce does it, I'm sure people helping him do, but I think, you know, not not that my you know, podcast is the panacea of, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> politics in the 21st century. But I mean, those are the sorts of things where you can really excel and reach people that he's not reaching. And I think the challenge is, you know, a a Democrat running for this office is probably similar to what any Democrat running for any office has. It's getting the youth and the minority vote out there, you know, because if they come in and vote, then it's going to be a a big swing as far as what the numbers are. So has that been something that you focused on?
1: Absolutely. Um, And it's, about inspiring and motivating people. And that's what like, I don't mean this about Bruce, but like that idea in that office, it's not inspiring. Yeah. It's not motivational. Um, And so it's not just, you know, the Democrats are going to vote for me and the Republicans are going to vote for him. It's
0: Inspiring Status quo versus change. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. but
1: like, even I spent, and so there is nobody that's going to work harder. And it's not just social media or digital, digital advertising. Like, I will go door to door if every house, to every house. She's if coming I have on to. this
0: podcast. So yeah. she just maybe got herself a net <laughs> six votes. So right. that's a, yeah. But like,
1: I spent a lot of time in Pasco. I was supervising the offices there. So used to going from St. Pete to Pasco. And when I talk to people, even who slant conservatively, and I share some of the things we've talked about, how much money we spend prosecuting people for low-level nonviolent crimes related to drug addiction and mental illness. Nobody's in favor of that. It's yeah. getting around this hyper-partisanship. And that's where I'm like, listen, folks, my parents are real Republican. Um, I grew up with them. I am a Democrat. And I believe in common sense criminal justice reform. And so to call me anything else is disingenuous. And so I am determined to talk to every single person Tell people what I believe in. Tell people who I am, and I think that people agree, and we're going to win this.
0: Well, that kind of leads me in where I wanted to go. You probably got ten minutes before you need to be, you know, wheels on the ground okay. or, or wheels on the road. <laughs> My um, kid
1: gets mad when she's the last well, one in Garland. Sure.
0: <laughs> just uh, what would you say to those those that are you're you're asking to vote for you? I mean, you kind of just segued into it, but you know.
1: What well, my platform is that I want to keep the community safe, keep the communities prosper- prosperous, and provide a pathway to redemption. Okay. And I think that the things that I'm talking about are universally held beliefs. We all want to feel safe and feel safe in our homes, and we all want to be treated fairly. And the criminal justice system doesn't do either now. And that's just the reality. And so a lot of what I do is is – spending time educating people about the realities of the criminal justice system. And when I mentioned, you know, I don't think people should ever run uncontested after this experience ever again. It's because we have had no need to have these conversations in Pinellas and, Co- Pinellas and Pasco counties because the state attorney hasn't even been on the ballot, sure, the general election ballot in over 50 years. Right. And so it is talking to people about the realities and saying, we as people all have these universally held beliefs, and that's what I stand for, and that's why you should vote for me.
0: How can people find you online? How can people support you? How can people vote for you? Money. The, my, so money. <laughs> yeah. So the, what's the website?
1: Yeah. Um, er, 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 everybody can find me everywhere. Okay. Um, my website is millerforstateattorney.com. Okay. You can donate securely and easily through my website. I'm on all of the social media platforms. On Facebook, it's Allison Miller for State Attorney. On Instagram, it's Miller for State Attorney. On Twitter, I am AFMiller2021.
0: Do you need attorneys over there to put up yard signs, to wave signs, to wear sure. shirts, to sure. canvas, to do any of those things? Yes. So, yes. Do you have and a campaign manager that I they do. can reach out to? Dan that, Perry. Most okay. people know
1: Dan. He is a lawyer in Pinellas as well. Works in Pinellas Pasco. He's run three judicial campaigns successfully. Dave Ellis, Evan Freeman, Miri Mary Marizeri. Just a great guy. Just yeah. genuinely like salt of the earth. Really good person. Okay. Um, so reach out to Dan or myself. Yeah, and all of the above. Um, Fundraising is a huge component of it. And my least favorite aspect, I think most <laughs> Asking for money
0: sucks. Yeah, it does. Well, especially- and like,
1: I thought it was going to be easier. And I don't know why. I'm a career public defender. I have literally never had to hustle for business. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. We had somebody call me for a consultation at the firm since I've been in private practice and ask how much I would charge just to like go meet with, it was an FBI agent in this case. And I was like, I don't know, free? And Craig was like, that is the no! wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, no, it's it's
0: very tough. You know, I have this conversation still because, you know, I I grew up here. I've lived here. So a a large volume of my clients are a friend of a friend or a friend of a family member or a family member. And they're like, if you give friend of a friend and friend discounts and family member discounts or you do this pro bono and do that pro bono and, you know, because I, you know, you know because of Craig, I mean we sued the Governor for free. I mean that was all pro bono, and then now Elizabeth, one of my associates, she's on the appellate side of it, and luckily i I don't know if it's been announced yet, but they Alton brand maybe taken over. So, uh, but I mean, I'm
1: a huge judge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, yeah, you know, good deeds are for are private practice killers. So you've got yeah. to figure out a way to Craig that. allows me
1: to take so many pro bono cases. If I also agree to bring so much money. Right. Okay. Now firm. you can take another one. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know. exact, If I resolve one, I'm like, can I have another one now?
0: Awesome. The election is next fall.
1: Yep. November 8th, 2022. It's okay. the same. It's on the governor's, uh, election cycle. So governor DeSantis, and Charlie Chris, Nikki Fried, one of those folks will be on the ballot. Val Demings and Marco Rubio. So yeah, I mean, voter turnout should be relatively decent, even though it's not a presidential election cycle because we have some huge races uh, in Florida that are determined. Midterms to...
0: are as big as the general, you know, the the main ones. Especially here, I mean, yeah. this has been
1: a week in Florida that you have to decide like where your politics lie, right? So we ha- and and I hate the divisiveness. I genuinely could speak to Republicans Democrats about these things and we don't have to agree on everything mm-hmm. i heard, you know i've heard somebody say don't compare me to the almighty compare me to the alternative mm-hmm. um and i hate the divisiveness but you know this week in florida we had the heartbeat bill on mm-hmm. abortion filed we had a decision that parents get to decide whether to send their children back to school after known exposure to to somebody with covid if the child is asymptomatic we had representative diaz say yesterday that he wanted to explore non-COVID-related vaccinations and their requirements. And I was like, great, we're going to bring back polio in yeah, the state where yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's we are at a crossroads in a lot of these issues. And that is my goal or my charge is to help educating people in this little facet of criminal justice. And when I say little facet, you know, the state attorney wields a tremendous amount of power that people have no idea about. And so you know, even in gubernatorial election cycles, like these down ballot races, voter turnout drops off. So people come out to vote for the governor and then they just don't vote in down ballot races because they don't know. Right. And so that's where I see that as on me as the candidate to do everything I can to reach as many people as I can.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you had to drive over the bridge and you got to drive back over the Tampa bridge. Tampa is probably, a whole nother world. It is a whole <laughs> other world, but the Heights is pretty If you didn't have to pick up your daughter, there's a great breweries all over the place, but thank you so much for your time. Thank I really you. appreciate you. I wish you the best of luck. I mean, it's definitely a, a, a big thing that you're doing. And you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I wish you the best. I really do. You know, I'm trying to remain somewhat impartial on here. I have put the offer out to have Bruce on and let him speak his piece and maybe he'll convince me of certain things, but I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank All you right. for having me. Thank
1: you.